Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through conversations with thinkers, scholars, and leaders, we explore the life of the mind and the questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dan Hummel, your host and on staff at Upper House. Last week on the podcast, we tried a more experimental episode in a format that my colleague Dan Johnson tested out that interviewed a number of different campus ministry leaders here at UW about their experiences during the pandemic and coming out of it. I recommend you check it out if you haven't yet. Well, we're here for another and a concluding episode of Inside Upper House. Since May, we've interspersed our normal interviews with authors and artists and others with these conversations among Upper House staff about the goings-on inside the walls of Upper House. Today's episode is the last in this series, but of course our normal interviews will be continuing and, might I say, maintaining and even surpassing our past work. In the coming weeks, we're excited to bring a sustained focus on the arts, interviewing accomplished Christian artists from across the country, And we'll also be continuing to talk to historians, don't you worry, we have many historians lined up, about fascinating new projects exploring everything from the origins of modern interreligious dialogue to the role of literature in the American church. And we also have a lot of other interviews lined up or in the works, so stay tuned. And today, the script is flipped, and I, your humble host, will actually be the subject of this episode of Inside Upper House. My colleague, Cam Anderson, is interviewing me about a project I've been working on for close to a year now, a spiritual or a religious history of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And this work is part of a grant we have with the John Templeton Foundation. It's been a joy doing the research on this project, and very interesting. And we thought its themes were such that both people familiar with UW-Madison and people in other university contexts would find the topic of interest, and maybe if you aren't here in Madison, uh, interesting to imagine how a similar project would happen at your university. So, turning it over to Cam Anderson. Dan, as you know, um, a couple years ago we had the opportunity to approach the John Templeton Foundation with um, some funding ideas, and we came up with a proposal called the Higher Pursuits Project. And there were several things we wanted to do with that possible grant, but primarily we were interested in looking at the state of religious belief and spiritual practices at the University of Wisconsin right now. So the project ended up having several component pieces of them, and one of them I think that appeared to us and then started to have a life of its own was the idea of capturing a spiritual or a religious history of the University of Wisconsin. What was your sense for why we thought that was important? You know, I think one uh, maybe obvious thing is we have a, two trained historians uh, on our staff. So the deck 10. was kind of loaded, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know the saying that uh, a hammer sees everything as a nail. Well, a historian sees you know every problem as in need of some historical research to solve the problem. So there was a built-in bias, maybe particularly by me, that doing some type of historical research would actually help us understand the present uh, situation at UW. But I think there's a, there was a broader conviction held by the team that there is a story to be told 
contrary to what maybe some in the church and even some in the university might think, the UW and most public universities have very rich spiritual histories. Uh, Some of that we know because many of us on staff went to school at UW and were active in ministry uh, groups while on campus, or like me, studied uh, religious topics and encountered many people on campus who have personal faith uh, of some sort themselves and also are integrating that with their uh, research. And so we were, I think we just had a conviction or a commitment that there was a story to tell if we, if we took a look. Um, there was also a number of people in our community who had already been doing some uh, maybe less rigorously researched version of a spiritual history, including John Dahl, a longtime campus ministry worker and a board member at Upper House, and I'll mention him a little later as well. But even people before that, Vern Vizek, uh, who worked here for many decades in the, 20th, in the late 20th century, and many other people, uh, including uh, some of our campus ministry partners like St. Paul's Catholic Center and Press House, who had versions of their own history intersecting with the university as well. And so we knew there was a sort of existing knowledge out there that we could tap into. And then finally, I just knew personally that there were hints of a really interesting story. I knew sort of tidbit facts like that John Bascom, who was a very important president of the university in the late 19th century, was also a minister and had seminary training. And I also knew that St. Paul's Catholic Center was important as one of the first uh, versions of a Catholic center in the country. So all that came together to make us, I think, put that in the grant as something at least worth checking out and knowing that there was enough there to um, to probably have a really interesting project. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think what we're finding out is that, indeed, there's a wealth of material. I'm not an historian. I'm an artist. But the idea of the spiritual history captured my imagination right away, and, and probably for two reasons, because when I visited friends attending UW-Madison back in the early 70s, I remember there was a spiritual life and community here. And I know one of the things we've talked about along the way is the role that various churches and congregations have played um, in the formation and the movement of this spiritual history. But then I really got a taste of things in earnest here when I worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on campus here in the late 80s and then into the early 90s and came to realize I was entering into a story that had been ongoing for at least decades, so far as I could tell. Um, we're learning as much longer than that. When we think about a spiritual history, what exactly do we mean? I'm seeing that word in quotes, you know, quote, spiritual history, unquote. You're a historian. Is this a real history, Dan, or um, is it something fictive or kind of imaginative? What's your thought on what our spiritual history might be? Yeah, and as we started embarking on actually conceptualizing the project after we knew that we'd have it funded, I mean, this was one of the questions is what to exactly call this. You know, spiritual is a term that can mean many different things to many different people. We've also tested out a religious history of UW, but that can also imply, if spiritual can apply something that's maybe uh, personalized or more abstract, religious can often connote uh sort of institutions and doctrines, but but not much lived experience. So we, we're going with spiritual history right now, but I often rotate between spiritual and religious history. 
And they're, they're really, as we started doing research, I came to define sort of three levels of what a spiritual history would be. And this is just one way to do this. Historians coming at stuff would maybe uh, categorize things differently. But I really saw three important stories uh, going on. One is the institutional story of the University of Wisconsin and its understanding of the role of religion in its formation and then in its conduct as a university. And that can include, as I mentioned, people like presidents of the university, like John Bascom or Richard Ely, who was a, a, a very important sociologist here who, was, who called himself a Christian socialist and was very open about his uh, Christian commitments shaping his academic work. Uh, that's sort of an institutional story that you can tell almost from the top down, if you think of it that way. There's also a student story, the role of religion in the students at UW, dating all the way back to the 1840s and 1850s when the university started. And then, of course, coming up to the present. And that's a very interesting level of the story. And it's often much different than the institutional story. So if you think of administrators and faculty who have certain religious commitments or not, students, uh, many of them for much of UW's history coming from different parts of Wisconsin, uh, have their own uh, religious commitments and their own student organizations and ways of expressing religion that sometimes dovetail with the institutional story and other times are uh, in competition with it. And then finally, a third level would be looking at uh, outside churches or campus ministries and their influence on the broader university community. And there's very interesting stories there as well that start with the role of churches in Madison that many people who attended or worked at the university attended as uh, church members, and going to the influx of campus ministries. Uh, there's different waves of those influxes, but some of them were landed, or meaning they own property on campus or near campus, and others of more recent vintage are not landed that meet all over campus. And even as I'm talking here, I'm realizing I'm really uh, focusing in on Christian spirituality or Christian religion, but and that's certainly the case for the first hundred years of this story overwhelmingly Christian, though there are very interesting stories of Jewish and non-Christian communities, various individual faculty usually, or small groups of students. By the middle of the 20th century, you start getting a very strong trend of pluralization, and you um, today can't really generalize a lot about UW students um, or faculty or, or administration or the ministries and churches around um around the city. They're, it's very diverse and very pluralistic. And so those are some of the themes of change over time on all three levels of the story. That's something um, we're really interested in tracking. And finally, I want to hit on that pluralism theme. There's different ways to take a story like this. You could imagine, there, you, could have, you could have a certain agenda with telling a story about the deeply Christian roots of a public university. And you could imagine uh, one version, one implication of that would be some type of call to return to that um, original status. That's not what we want to do here. We are much more interested in, well, first understanding the truth or understanding what the story is. But also, Cam, as you mentioned, when you came to Madison, I felt the same way. I felt like I was coming into an ongoing story about religion at UW. And so maybe the most important thing we want to do with this history is to orient new students, new faculty, new staff, new community members coming into our community to that story 
and to have, help them appreciate that they're one not alone, but also that they are not probably doing anything new, um, and and that there's a lot of deep history and wisdom uh, already in this community. So if there's sort of one overarching theme or point to um, telling this story, I think it's somewhere in that area. Right. Yeah, the mention of pluralism here uh, uh, invites for me a further question to you. Institutions, and especially universities, do generate a kind of self-image um, or kind of a caricature of, of who they are. Um, and I think it would be genuinely believed, and broadly so, that University of Wisconsin-Madison is a pro- politically progressive place and a secular place as well. Those are often paired together, though they need not be. But when you think about this place at least being perceived as secular, what's your sense of how this spiritual history and, and, and the history of religious belief and practice weaves into that secular self-image of the institution? I know we would both agree that that image is probably overplayed, and this place is way more interesting and complicated than that image would suggest. But what is your thought about that overriding kind of secular sense of this place? Yeah, and I'm not even sure if that uh, if that image is promoted as much. Uh, there are certainly people at the university who want to sort of make that clear. And that's always been, in the in the history of UW, it's always been a clear uh, wall between church and state. And because the university is a public university, that wall exists between the university and churches. But but that's a, you know, that's a, that's an arrangement that has a lot of porous uh, borders to it. And, you know, I think a lot of, you see this from the beginning of the university, a lot of the depiction of the university as a secular or atheistic or godless place was actually, you know, a critique of the university from outsiders. It was a concern about what what a public university would even be when it was decided uh, in the first few decades that there wouldn't be a divinity school or a seminary at the university that sort of played into a narrative of the university is just educating uh, people to move away from religion. And of course, we have the same type of narrative all the way up till today about the secularity of the curriculum. And that's certainly the case in many instances. But of course, there's many people on campus Campus, many people working who who sort of make up the university, who would not define themselves as secular, but who also love working alongside people who do, and uh, that's part of the beauty of the story is understanding that complexity, also understanding that for the entirety of UW's history, religion has been an object of study at the university, and of deep interest to many people, sort of on a on a research level, on a teaching level. And then there's always been ministries and churches uh, ministering to the university as well. So any clean depiction of secular, uh, a secular university um, is missing a lot of the interesting nuances, breaking down maybe those binaries between religion and secularity or Christianity and public university is one way this project will hopefully also contribute to the conversation. Yeah, I really like that idea of breaking down the binaries. Uh, they get constructed to keep life simple, but actually life's not simple like that. And in fact, it's way more interesting. And so on one hand, uh, religious belief and spiritual practice might shape someone's worldview profoundly and the way they decide to live life as a consequence of that, but it might not shape how one plays the violin at all or does cancer research, right? So, so right, it's a really interesting space to work in. 
as you've been doing the work then of building out this spiritual history, what types of stories have you encountered? Um, maybe what's been surprising? What sources have you gone to? What are the pieces of, of the history that you're excited to share with uh, readers and listeners? Most historians would talk about two types of sources, primary and secondary sources. And secondary sources tend to be the the other histories that uh, historians have written about a topic, there's some really interesting secondary sources for this project, including we have a four-volume institutional history of UW that's very helpful, and it actually was written over different decades with different uh, authors. So the, it's interesting to even track how religion is talked about in the institutional history of the university. There's also, as I mentioned before, some really good histories of some of the other religious institutions on campus, including St. Paul's. There's a great history of St. Paul's, including Press House, uh, which is a Presbyterian ministry on campus. Another one, uh, he's a, a friend of mine, Jonathan Pollock, has written a great book recently on the history of Jews at UW uh, called Wisconsin Home of the Jew. And it's a great insight into one of the minority religions on campus. And you can really see in some ways the pervasive Protestantism of the UW culture and some of the the dark undersides of that as um, from a perspective of a minority religion. Um, But you can also see that growth of pluralism throughout the 20th century as more and more Jewish students come to campus, and um, they're a major presence um, on campus today. So those are some of the secondary sources. Some of the primary sources, which is where you usually get your original insights as a historian, uh, include some archival uh, sources from the UW uh, archives, many university publications, including yearbooks and student handbooks. It was a surprise to me to find out that most of the student handbooks until the early 20th century were actually published by the YMCA on campus. And so the, 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 even the, the idea of a separation of church and state there gets really complicated when a Christian organization is publishing the official handbook uh, for incoming students. There were, there, there's many other uh, sort of unpublished sources, including a great treasure trove of campus ministry sources by an organization called the University Religious Workers, which Upper House is a member of, but it's a, col- it's a collaboration between a bunch of campus ministries who were trying to speak with one voice to the university and still do. And uh, their sources are very interesting. They go back to the 1950s and show the vitality of uh, student religious life and campus ministry life from that point on. So there's a number of different types of sources that I'm looking at. It was great that part of the Templeton support allowed me to have a research assistant named Quincy who did a lot of the the drudgery of looking through yearbook after yearbook for changes in which religious organizations were represented on campus. Uh, and he did a great job over the summer to, to help me get a shape of that story as well. But the idea is to combine all of these different types of sources and to figure out what are some of the major themes and then what is the core story that we want to choose to tell. Because there are a, di- a ton of different ways that story could go, depending on which sources you emphasize and which you de-emphasize. And that's really where I am right now in the project, is sifting through the sources, taking a lot of notes, and figuring out which are which major narrative plots and themes will highlight at the end of this project. So you're in the beginning stages of this project, gathering stories and information and it's too soon to say what how all this might conclude but what's your early sense of things um, as you look back on this history what maybe has been underscored for you as a conviction or what's something new you hadn't really thought of like I think it's really interesting that 
the YMCA was involved in publishing a student handbook. I mean, who would have imagined? I wouldn't have imagined something like that, but knowing the history of UW and the history of the YMCA and some of these things, when you go back, it actually starts to make a little bit of sense. But um, what are some early conclusions you might be reaching or things you want to test out further? You know, the YMCA is such a fascinating institution, partly because it's no longer around in the same way. It's if you know UW, there's a recently renovated alumni park, which is right next to the Memorial Union. That used to be the YMCA. It used to be a parking lot when I came here in 2010. Before that, in the 19, up until the 1960s, it was the YMCA. It was the student center on campus. It's, it's basically what the Memorial Union is now. So it's just interesting. That's one thing that is actually interesting for me, doing a local history. I, I've, I've usually done history that um, is, is much wider in scope, is just having personal experience in a space and then doing the history and realizing just how different it was. Uh, just a few decades ago is really uh, interesting. But I would say some of the the big themes or the big topics that are interesting me right now, and they're more snapshots of what what the larger story is, but the deep influence and importance of social gospel Protestant thought on the Wisconsin idea, which is the Wisconsin idea is something people at UW talk about a lot. Uh, it's sort of the public commitment of the university to the wider community, the state, and then the globe. And if you go back to the origins, it was deeply influenced by a particular conception of common good, of public good, of public service that was rooted in the social gospel. So that's an interesting way that a certain religious idea influenced a broader uh, idea that most of us are familiar with at the university. Um, that, that theme of pluralization is really interesting, and it really picks up after World War II in particular. I'm interested both as reflected in the student body and sort of who's actually attending the university, but also in the way that different parts of the university are reconceptualizing religion as an area of research. And so the rise of religious studies as an area of inquiry, the rise of area studies in general, and uh, we actually have interviewed a couple emeritus faculty who were integral to that research story of how UW has really contributed to the broader understanding of world religions and of the development uh, of religion. And then the, fin- the final thing I'll mention is the evolving nature of campus ministry at UW. And that's a story that intersects with a lot of bigger themes in American religion. But, you know, one of the striking things is seeing the rise of what we would probably call evangelical campus ministries after World War II. And just the sea change that these really become the dominant, in terms of numbers, the dominant campus ministries in the late 20th century. And that is an entirely different picture than the first half of the 20th century. And it's fascinating to think about why that happened. And also what the consequences or what the implications of that change were. That doesn't mean that, that the, the, what we would call mainline or landed ministries, they're still here and they're still doing uh, work. And it's something that I don't think you would appreciate uh, as an outsider until you're actually pointed it out that, that there's this, this big change. So those are some of the themes that I'm grappling with and trying to fit those in as big of a container as possible to tell the story. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Um, and of course, we sometimes call these parachurch uh, campus ministries are post-World War II developments. And so organizations wanting to evangelize uh, university students, undergrads in particular, bring the gospel to campus. And of course, a major university like Wisconsin is 
going to be a high priority. There are tens of thousands of students here, and the thinking being, well, if we can impact these students, we can impact the world, right? But it's a new story and the longer story, and I, I, I think it's really interesting. And, and as I, as we've talked about the work you're doing, you know, I, I see these several strands being woven together, the institutional history and of the university itself, and then other organizations, institutions wanting to have a place in this in this place of the university to pitch their tent, if you will. The story of what happens with undergraduate students in particular, but then also stories of how graduate students are shaped here, and then a long and continuing story about university faculty and staff. So it's a complicated and interesting weave. When you think about sharing this research with our community and beyond, what kinds of forms are, are you thinking of right now? I mean, the ability we have to communicate these days is so multi-formed and so broad. You know, here we are doing a podcast together, recording it and putting it out on the internet and available digitally to people from anywhere in the world. That's kind of a marvel all by itself. But what forms are you thinking of when it comes to publication, we'll say? We have three that we're really zeroing in on for next year. I mentioned at the top that one of the initial interests in this project was knowing that there's a longtime campus ministry worker, John Dahl, who's also on our board, that has some of this story. And he's for decades done a tour of UW's campus and sort of pointed out the spiritual history around campus, actually looking at the buildings or the spots. Oh, actually just walking through and looking at the places. Right. It, so it's, it's you're, you're getting a, you know, you're standing in the spot and John is telling you the history of that building or that location. And so we're turning that into an audio tour that will actually be in a podcast type form where anyone can take it and John will be the narrator and uh, you'll be able to walk around campus. We're hoping that incoming students and their families will take the opportunity for this. Uh, to, to do this tour. So that's one thing we're doing, is we're doing a, a bunch of research to make sure that we are accurate on that tour and that we're highlighting the right things. Uh, a second thing is we're going to be producing a short documentary that particularly tells the story of religion at UW since World War II, where there's a lot of visual and uh, video materials to draw from, including we've done a number of oral histories uh, interviews with faculty who've been here, some of them since the early 60s, and were actually integral to the story that we want to tell. So that'll be a second one is a 10 to 20 minute documentary that we hope will orient people very quickly to the broader themes of religion at UW. And then finally, I am a historian by training, and so I love the written history. And so there will be a longer written history of this story. Uh, it's still going to feel really hard to condense it into a, sort of an article, a long article length. I think it, it it deserves a book treatment at some point. Well, maybe four volumes, right? I mean, uh, maybe not four volumes. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe something in between. Can we get in between an article and four volumes? But there is something there, and so I will be producing. Uh, I'll be the primary writer, but there will be a lot of people contributing to it. A a written history with deep, you know, long footnotes, contextualizing historiographical interventions, all that kind of stuff. And that'll be something that we will have available to anyone who wants to read it. Probably won't be the first thing people turn to if they just want to get oriented. That'll probably be the documentary. But it will be there, and it'll be something that we hope we can share with the university itself and with the other campus ministries that we work with as something. It won't be entirely comprehensive, but it will be as ecumenical and pluralistic, 
pluralistic as we can make it while still keeping a you know clear narrative uh, and and story to it. So those are the three products or outputs that we're working on right now that we hope to have done uh, by next summer. In th- I'm looking forward to reading well all the pieces, but especially the written history. And I can imagine um, several places where um, sharing that story could be very fruitful. The administration of University of Wisconsin-Madison itself, persons who are involved in ministry to the university, learning about that story. And then I just think uh, there could be uh, an interested broader community, maybe leaders of other Christian study centers like Upper House, and kind of awakening people to the idea that there is a history, there is a spiritual through line or story to the places where they work. So, Yeah, that's one of the bigger hopes for the project is uh, that other universities and other ministries at other universities will see the value of doing a similar type project at their universities, where we have that going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, that conviction that every university has a story like this that is both unique and part of a broader story. And it takes a lot of energy and, and even you know training to, to understand exactly how to do that well. But, but there are a uniquely large number of historians in the Christian Study Center movement as well. So we think other study centers can also uh, take, undertake this. Good. Well, Dan, it's been fun to watch this um, spiritual history go from a what if or maybe should we uh, conversation a couple of years back when we started working on this grant to actually see it take form and begin to think about what get some sense for what we're going to learn and then in a real practical way think about the audiences that may want to benefit from this and so thanks for checking in with us on this project so far uh, we'll look forward to see the, the publication and the production of all these great resources. Well done. Thanks, Cam. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Andy Johnson, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.